Okay, so it's like on the airplane. I'm turning mine to airplane mode right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's funny because it always goes off. I know I'm one of the guys that's gone off on before, uh, those of you who were here during that. And luckily, uh, Travell's dad was there to support me because <laughs> I guess it happened to him too. Um, so today we're going through Acts uh, chapter 12. Let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Father, we oh, I thank you again uh, that we can come into your presence. <clears throat> and Lord, as we take a deep breath now, we, uh, I come into your presence as a sinful man. You know that, Father. You know my heart. And I pray that you would forgive me once again for my many faults and shortcomings. And I thank you, Lord, that you have already forgiven me before you, before I even knew you. Lord, let us walk into your scripture this morning and step amongst the witnesses of the cloud that we have around us of the people who have gone before and let us learn uh, the wisdom that you've left for us to learn and prepare ourselves for our walk with you, Father. So quiet our hearts now, Lord, and uh, let our footsteps blend into the forest around and just... Uh, uh, hear your still small voice in our spirit, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Acts chapter 12. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it. We're pretty much doing the whole chapter. I'm going to read it once and then we're going to go through it step by step. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren... Uh, oh man, I'm, I'm in Romans 12. Good grief, hold on just a second. We're going to get to Romans 12 here in a minute. Um, Acts 12. Okay, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of four soldiers to guard him. This uh, is called a quintur uh, quinturian. Now it was, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he desired, he was going to put him in prison, deliver him to four squads of four soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover feast to, to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird, up your, gird yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he didn't know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened by themselves before them. And they went out, went along the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod 
and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she answered Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not even open the gate, but ran back inside and announced that Peter was standing before the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, well, it must be his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them what the Lord had, how the Lord had led him out of prison, and he said, report these things to James. That's James, the brother of Jesus. And the brethren. And then he left and went to another place. Now, at the day, when the day came... There was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And then he, he went down to Judea of Caesarea, from Judea to Caesarea, and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and one, with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, his chief chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat in the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Blessed is the name of the Lord. So, what we're learning today, we, I've just read it, so it's pretty clear. The story's obvious. Uh, it's, to me, it's no small uh, coincidence. Of course, Steve already knew what I was going to be talking on, but the, the, the music this morning, um, I couldn't help but write down, you know, your love never fails. My lighthouse, you know, I will trust the promise. My God, my, my, um, uh, let me see. I will trust the, the, my God's love will see me through. You are the peace in my trouble. See, lead us through the storm, fire before us. Uh, these apply to what our lesson is today directly. Um, another one, I won't fear what tomorrow will bring, right? Okay, so Peter, uh, so at the beginning of the chapter, Herod, this is Herod Agrippa. And Herod Agrippa uh, was different than the Herod, the great Herod that tried to kill all the babies in Jerusalem. This is his uh, son, uh, and his son by a Hasmonean princess who was partly Jewish. So because of this, Herod Agrippa was partly Jewish. And he, uh, he often sought to curry favor with the Jews uh, because he considered himself kind of a Jew. Now, just a little bit of history of, of Agrippa. He had been living in Rome for a long time, and he was actually a... Uh, good friend supported by the Caesar that later came to be called Caligula. And if you've heard about Caligula, he's not a, he wasn't a good guy. Uh, but before Caligula came to power, uh, Agrippa was actually kind of in trouble because he was friends with Caligula. But when Caligula came to power, he, he gave Agrippa uh, the uh, Caesarea Judea, the area of, uh, of uh, Palestine. And because Herod was that uh, partly Jewish, he... he he liked to uh, ingratiate himself to the Jews and say, look, I'm just one of you. I'm, I'm just like you guys. And he 
made uh, great pains at going to the temple and offering sacrifices daily to show that he was a good Jew. And that helped curry favor with the Jewish leaders and with the Jews in general. And at this time when he took, uh, being a good Jew, Christians were, were in not uh, well liked in Jerusalem, okay? And later on in the rest of Rome. So he grabbed one of the leaders of the church, James. Now this is James and the brother of John. Have you ever heard of James and John, the sons of Zebedee? They were two of the apostles of Christ. Uh, John was beloved of Jesus, okay, and James was the other son. And they were, these two were also called James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus called them the sons of thunder because when they were in Samaria, uh, they, uh, the Samarians weren't treating them good. And, and James and John said, Jesus, uh, you want us to call down fire from heaven on these people? Because that's what they deserve. And Jesus was like, hey, wait, cool your jets. Um, we got to love these people. And he, that, that was why he named them James and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, so James was probably a very outspoken uh, in, the, in the early church in Jerusalem. And because of this, um, I assume because of this, was, when, was that uh, why Herod took him and he stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. This is in King James. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So Peter's like the de facto leader of the church at the time. So if you want to cut off the head, take the head and cut it off. So, um, so he, when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering to four squads of soldiers. This was called a quintirian. So there's four squads of four soldiers. And uh, that would, these four, four guys would be guarding him. Two guys would be chained to him. Two guys would be outside the, of the cell. And they would split up six-hour shifts throughout the day. So 24 hours, he's guarded. And these are, uh, these are tough guys, right? And I think Peter was, or Herod was probably thinking back to Acts 5 uh, when Peter had been, uh, Peter, I think Peter and John both, were rescued out of the prison before where the, the angel came in and said and took him out of prison, out of the prison. And when the angel took him out, he said, okay, now go into the temple and start preaching. And when the Sadducees and the scribes or the leaders tried to find him, they were like, where? He's gone. And the guards were like, I don't know where they went. And, they, and someone said, hey, they're in the temple preaching. So Herod, I don't know, this, this is just me reading into it. He probably said, we're going to make sure this is not going to happen again. So he chained Peter to two guards. Okay, um, now what's the Feast of Unleavened Bread? The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a part of Passover. It was a, it was a combined event. So you had the Passover, and do we all know what the Passover was? It was a day of remembrance for when God delivered the Hebrews out of, out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Okay, it was commemorating his God delivering them, God liberating them, God saving them. So they would gather and they would, they would kill the sacrificial lamb and they would bake unleavened bread, okay? And because it, the reason it was unleavened bread was because they were cooking it quickly and it was all meant to be in haste. We have to be ready to leave because Moses said, cook these meals, cook your, boil, basically boil the sheep and in, in boil it up and then cook the unleavened bread so you're going to have basically these unleavened crackers and bread and gird up your loins, okay? You know, have you ever, have you ever girded up your loins? You have to wear a dress to do this. So you take, what you do is you take the front of the thing and you shove it underneath here and you grab the back and you pull it up like this and you tie it into your belt and you got pants. 
Can you picture that, right? That's what's girding up your loins. That meant you could run quickly, right? So they were, Passover was to remember when they were delivered and to always be prepared and ready to go. And this applies today, what we're talking about. So um, on the very night that Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping. Okay, Peter's probably one of the guys that was sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane too. But for a different reason this time. This is an example, guy, to us. How much do you trust God? Peter has been through the ringer a little bit up to this point. But now he's chained to two guards. And he's going to be killed, just like his brother James. And he's sleeping. He's asleep. Um, there's been stories, you know, in my past. Oh, I, there's a really good book I like to read. It's called... Uh, to the last cartridge. It has nothing to do with the Bible. But it's a, it's a book full of little short stories of battles fought by men and women who were overwhelmed and, they, and they, would, they would fight to the last cartridge. And one of the stories, a guy is, you know, they're, they're surrounded by whatever hostels and uh, one of the sergeants is sleeping. He's just over there, he propped up in the corner and the guy's like, how can you sleep, sergeant? He goes, look, I'm not, I got to sleep sometime, you know, and I, I, I might as well do it so I can be ready. He was not worried, okay? Well, Peter, he knew, he knew God was in charge, so he fell, he fell asleep in between the two guards, and he's, he's obviously not worried enough that he would go to sleep. So the, the, the um, and I wish I had that, I wish I had that, because there's, the night before, different things I've gone through, you know, carrier qualifications in the Navy, you know, things were, or big tests in college, and you're worried, you know, and you're, you're nervous, you're thinking about things like that, or maybe, maybe you have to preach the next day, you know? And um, so, no, I slept like a baby last night because the Bible preaches. Doesn't matter who's talking. It, it's, it, the, the Word of God goes into people's hearts no matter how you present it. Okay, so he, anyway, so on that very night, he's sleeping between soldiers, bound with two chains, and the guards in front of him were watching the prison, over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He's still not awake. Um, and he, <laughs> he struck Peter's side. And I looked this up. And this is a gentle poking. Okay, in the, Hebrew, in the, uh, the Greek. It's like, he, he probably went, you know, you know. And there's this light shining in the cell. And Peter's, you know, snoring. And so he goes, hey, you know, get up. So what does he say? He says, gird yourself up. Gird your, gird your, gird your we're going to go. Gird yourself up. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, gird yourself up and put on your sandals. And he did so. So I have this picture of Peter being, a, he's just like me and you, he's a regular guy. He's a fisherman for crying out loud. He's not he a PhD or anything like that. So he, 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 first of all, he wakes up and there's this angel standing there and the chains go ka-chunk. And then he says, gird yourself up and put, put your sandals on. So he girds himself up, puts his sandals on. And I, he probably stood up like that. And the angel goes, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's get going. It reminds me of the, uh, well, that's another story. I don't want to get off the subject. Um, so he went out and continued to follow. He didn't know what he was being done by the angel. Uh, was re- he didn't know that it was, what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was in a vision. He was seeing a vision. And so uh, when they passed through the gates, we had these, these kind of this, woo, where he you know, walk up the iron gate and he goes, Coo. 
and he walks out, right? And, he, and I can see why this would seem like a vision. Shane's falling off the whole thing. Guards stayed asleep, obviously. They don't, they don't talk about that. So there must have been some kind of a stun ray or something that the, the angels could use to keep everybody asleep or just stop time, I don't know, one of those science fiction things. But they walk out, and when they get to the street, the angel disappears. So this is when Peter kind of comes to himself and goes, whoa, this was real. This really happened. I'm not sure how many of you guys have experienced things like that in your life where God intervened, did something, and afterwards you went, wow, that really happened. You know, maybe it was when your first child was born. Maybe it was when you were saved from a dangerous, precarious thing, you know, I don't know, in the military or not. And it, after it's over with, you, you, you come to your senses and go, that just happened. That was miraculous. And then you, and this is when our, we as Christians, our hearts turn to God and go, thank you, God, because that was not me. Um, <clears throat> I have lots of stories like that, but I'm not going to, I was cautioned not to get too much into my military stuff. So uh, when Peter, and so anyway, so he, he goes to uh, the house of Mary, the mother of John. This is John Mark, the one that came later on in the first missionary uh, journey with uh, Paul and Silas. And he, this, is the, this is where you get the Bible humor coming up because it was just like, wow, this is really miraculous. It was like he, maybe Peter's going to get killed and Herod's doing all this stuff. And then, then he, I love, this is an example, I think, of God wanting the message to get across where people can realize this is a good story. Because he puts even this little uh, comedic humor in here where he says, he says, um, he knocks on the gate and the servant comes out, Rhoda, and, she, and he, Peter's standing there and she goes, ah, and just runs back in. She doesn't open the gate. And she goes, Peter's standing out there. And, and they're probably thinking, well, first of all, why didn't you open the door? And second of all, there's no way Peter could be about here. But she, you know, she was so excited that she ran back in without, and Peter's back there going, hello, open up, open up. And finally they convince her to come in and uh, uh, to get to let him in. And they, they realize who he is. Now, after he explains what's going on, we see that James is probably one of the leaders in the church. James, the brother of Jesus. And he says, tell, tell James what happened and tell the brethren. And then he takes off. We don't know where he went. Some have uh, speculated that he went to uh, Antioch of Syria or possibly to Cyprus. We're really not completely sure. Uh, maybe to Asia Minor uh, because he ends up being um, uh, crucified later on in uh, Rome. It's, but not according to the Bible, but according to what we know of history. Um, so anyway, he, uh, he, he leaves and goes. And now... I'm going to jump right to the next story where Herod, well, the end of the story is Herod, when they, they go to open the, the thing, the, the, the guards are sitting there with a chain on their arm and nothing on the chain. And they're like, well, where's Peter? And they're like, I don't know. No one saw him leave, no one or anything. I don't know if they left the gate open when they left, but, it, but when they came in and Herod's like, what? So he kills four of his top guys or 12, 16, 16 of his top guys. Are, are, are executed because of this, and Peter's gone in the wind. <clears throat> I want to, to, re, to remember, I, I probably, there was, a, there was a, when Peter was in prison, I forgot to say this, he was bound, but what was loosed? Prayer. So 
when he was in prison, I'm sure he prayed too, but the church prayed for him. And this is a, this is a, a really good lesson for us. When, when we come into persecution, when we come into hard times, and we feel like we're bound or trapped or betrayed or in trouble, what we're supposed to do is pray. And that's the answer. God is our deliverer, not us. I am not the deliverer. God is the deliverer. He may sometimes use the hands of men, but, but uh, God is the deliverer. Okay, I'm going to go on through where, let me see, uh, God, God intervened. He re, uh, restored him. And then we get to uh, the, the third part where uh, the death of Herod. So it says, um, how did, why did Herod die? Well, first of all, he went down to Caesarea, which was the Roman province around Galilee, and he was kind of it was kind of like a vacationing spot. And the people from Tyre and Sidon came and were asking for more food. Now, remember from Steve's sermon last week, they were under a uh, famine. There was a famine going on at the time, so they probably were coming in, and Herod was, I guess, holding over them the the wheat, kind of like people can hold uh, people oil against them, you know. I'm not sure if that's applicable today or anything like that. But, but anyway, these guys came to talk to, to Agrippa and see if he could get, they could get some more food. And while he was talking and, and orating to them, they were saying things. And I don't know if it specifically was the people from Tyre and Sidon, but people were sucking up to him by saying, this is not the voice of a man talking to us. This is the voice of God. And Herod's mistake was listening to it and maybe agreeing. Because at that moment, when his hubris, his arrogance, God struck him dead because he accepted basically the implication that he was God or a God. So what in these three uh, stories, we have James killed, we have Peter in prison to be executed and delivered, and then we have Herod killed. How did, what, what is the common denominator in these three stories? God, obviously, that's one of them, but, the, but Herod's in all three of them. Herod kills James, Herod tries to kill Peter, and then kills his guards, and then Herod is killed himself. Herod the, is the uh, common denominator in these, these, these three things. Does anyone see any uh, inconsistency on God's part for not saving James? He saved Peter, why didn't he save James? Why, did he, why didn't he kill Herod before all this happened, right? Well, heck, why doesn't God just fix everything right away? This is God's plan. God is sovereign, not me, or not you. Why do good people suffer? Why do good men and women die? Why do children have cancer? I don't have the answer to these things, but God is sovereign. And in this situation specifically, God's plan was going to be laid out. James, we don't know that, uh, I, don't, I would imagine James did not complain. He, neither did uh, Stephen when he was martyred, right? He just looked up into heaven and said, I'm coming, right? And he, he also said, don't hold this against him. And who was saved because of that experience or later on? Paul. Paul became, Saul became Paul. Peter wasn't worried. He was obviously not worried because he was sleeping. But God rescued him because God had more for him to do. Peter's job was not done. 
his job was not to be martyred at that moment. And Peter knew, by the way, Jesus said earlier on, he gave him a story where he said, you know, when you're young, you're going to be real strong, and, but when you're old, someone else is going to stretch forth your hands and you will go where you don't want to go. And a lot of people, they, they uh, say that God was saying, when you were an old man, you're going to be crucified, which he did get crucified. And maybe, who knows, maybe Peter was thinking, well, I'm not going to die now because God, Jesus said I was going to be an old man. I don't think he was probably thinking like that at the time. I think he just trusted God. Um, <clears throat> okay, where are we here? Death of Herod. You can go to the next one. Okay, in spite of James getting killed, in spite of Peter being rescued, God's message continued, his word. And this is why God, this is why God caps this chapter with a saying, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. In spite of persecution, the Jews didn't, one of the other reasons why Herod probably didn't like Peter was because Peter had been uh, cavorting with uh, Gentiles, right? He was saying Gentiles could be Christians. So that was another thing the Jews were not happy about, that Christianity, not only were they against Christianity, but they were against Christianity, including Gentiles. Um, but in spite of this persecution, the word of the Lord continues to grow and be multiplied. Isn't that interesting how persecution doesn't stop the word of the Lord, doesn't stop Christianity spreading? What stops, what, where, uh, what situation do we see where Christianity stagnates? Is it under persecution? No. When is, where is it? Good times. Often that can happen. Um, when we, we got, we're set, we're good. And just like we learned in our Sunday school lesson about Nebuchadnezzar, when the good times, he was like, hey, look at all this, I've got everything. And that was when God struck him down. So when, just like, okay, Navy story. <laughs> just like when you're flying an airplane, and pilots in here understand that. And you do something really cool, and you think to yourself, wow, this looks really cool. What do we know? You're getting ready to get in trouble. The punching glove's going to come out of the wall on the little thing and hit you in the face. So that was, I learned that in the Navy. When things were, when it looked like I, I thought everything was really good, something was, Murphy was about to jump up and bite me. So it, Christians, not that we should want persecution, right? Like you don't want to pray for humility. But when we are, when things are good for Christianity, it's when we should be going, hey, we're free to preach. We're free to tell the, we, we should be out there doing it while we can. Because we're across the world, guys. Uh, I think the next one's up there. Uh, next slide with the little mappy thing. There. This is 2018. This is the world watch list from 2018. 50, 50 countries where it is the most dangerous to follow, to follow Jesus. This is what it could be in America, but it's not. These people are fighting. Look at that, Mexico, actually. Colombia, across northern Africa, obviously China and parts of, uh, of southern Russia. These people are being killed, some of them. Definitely being resisted. We should take advantage of this opportunity. We don't have, look, it's great. We're fine. America is fine, right? Go to the next one. 2020. Look, look, look at Russia now. But good old Mongolia is still strong right there in the middle. The little gray one. So the point I'm trying to make is 
I'm not going to say that we like to talk in America how we're being persecuted because little bitty rights are maybe being inferred that we shouldn't have these rights. Guys, we're free to preach. We should be preaching. We're free to share the word of God. We should be sharing the word of God without fear because when we in America speak the gospel or talk about right and wrong based in the Bible, what do they do to us? They just say they're mad at us. It's not killing us. It's not taking the food out of our mouths. It's not taking our children away from us. We're not being persecuted here, literally. We think we're being persecuted because we're like, well, you're just infringing on my rights. These people are being killed in Libya, in Algeria, all throughout Iraq and Iran. These are the people we should be praying for. We should be praying for openly, and we should be talking openly about the persecution across the world. While we have the right to speak freely, we should be speaking about these kind of things. We should be bringing this up in conversation. Did you hear about these people being persecuted? Did you know that God's you know, word is being persecuted? Because his word will continue. It's our job to, to, to uh, help that. Okay, now let's go to the next slide. Okay, God sees. I said God sees on a lot of these slides. There's one slide that I, I can't remember where it was on my PowerPoint slide, but it, it's in Psalms chapter 11. I've brought this up in Sunday school classes. Those of you who have your Bibles, go and open it to Psalms chapter 11. And it's a little chapter that very few people know about. And I'm going to read it. In the, uh, in the Lord I take refuge. This is David. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend their bows. They make ready the arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. The evil people are looking to take out the good people. There's like snipers in the dark, right? They're pulling back the arrow to kill us, kill the good guys. And then verse 3 gives us this odd verse. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is a question from Psalms. If because today we like to, in America, we like to say, oh my gosh, everything's going right down the chute, right? I'm going to hell in a handbasket. You know, what, if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? Freedom of speech or freedom to worship, if that's destroyed. If our children are being taken away from us, or if, or if our right to worship freely is being destroyed. All these things that we might think about, or people being persecuted across the world. What are the righteous to do? If the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? question God answers and his answer is interesting he says he doesn't say go uh, get about a year's worth of food and store it up get some MRAs get a lot of ammo right bury it in the backyard he doesn't say any of these things he doesn't say go fight he says the Lord is in his holy temple the Lord's throne is in heaven his eyes behold his eyelids test the sons of men the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone, burning wind will be the portion of their cup, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. Now turn to Romans 12. This is a, this is a part that you should probably... Um, Oh, Romans 12, Gordy. All right. You should have this highlighted. The whole, whole chapter is really good, but verse 17 through 19. 
Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will keep heat bowling, uh, coals of fire on his head. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Before we read it, um, what are the righteous to do? We're, what we're to do in Psalms is realize God sees everything. God's in control. He judges our hearts. There's a saying that says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I think it actually is in the Bible. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Who's our king right now, our de facto king, I guess? Joe Biden, President Joe Biden. His heart is in the hand of God for whatever reason. James was killed. God's plan. Peter was martyred later on. God's plan. People were burned at the stake during the uh, Inquisition. This is part of God's plan because we look back at those people. There's this one guy. I want to say it was John Rogers. I read, if you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's really good. And there's this one guy. I think it's John Rogers. I could be wrong. <clears throat> but he when the Catholic Church was trying to make him say that you know, he was wrong to, uh, the Protestants at the time were saying we could pray straight to God. We didn't need to go to a priest, right? And we could read the Bible in our own language. We didn't have to do it in Latin. So they were going to burn him at the stake for this, right? For not praying to Mary, whatever. I can't remember what the Inquisition was all completely about other than power. But anyway, he had to sign a document to get out of being burned, and he signed it. You know, they put him on the rack and they tortured him. They pulled his fingernails out. They were doing all kinds of stuff to him. And he signed the document. Okay, I recant. I recant. I'm wrong. I believe the way you believe. They let him go. Well, he got home and he was praying. He was like, Lord, I can't believe I just did that. You know, he got tortured. And so he went back to the priest and he goes, okay, I'm taking it back. I'm, I, I'm not recanting and I'm going to start preaching again. So they said, well, we're going to burn you at the stake. And so when they put him, tied him to the stake, he had his hands free. And he's strapped to the stake, and they got the wood. And as the flames grew, he reached down with his hand, and he shouted, let the hand that betrayed my Lord burn first. So those stories are for us. The stories here in the Word of God are for us. Bad things happen to good people in the Word of God but we see how they reacted to them, the good ones and the bad ones. The, God's plan is for us. His, this, his word right here was written for Gordy Carter. Right here. Every word in here was written for me to learn from, the good and the bad as well. And I can read that, the Fox's Book of Mars, for me to read, oh man, I hope I could be that way. I hope I would be that kind of guy to go put my hand down there, let the hand that betrayed my Lord burn first, right? Give me strength, Lord, to be that strong. Those who have gone before us are our inspirations. God has given this for us to read. We need to pray. If the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? We're supposed to just let God's will be done. We are supposed to do the right thing, even if you get clobbered for saying that word. John Wayne said that in the Alamo. 
He said, hit against, a lick against what's wrong and say a word for what's right, even if you get clobbered for saying that word. John Wayne, right? <clears throat> so we're supposed to do the right thing, not for gain or glory, right? Not for the adulation of men to say, look what a good guy he is. We're supposed to do what's right because it's right. We are supposed to do what's righteous because it is righteous, what God told us to do it. We're supposed to believe in God. End of story. Let him, and we're supposed to obey and we're supposed to pray. That's the message today. James died, Peter didn't. Herod was taken care of by God, not by men. When we see what's going on in our country, and I know, depending on the day, it can be pretty depressing, but there are small victories every day that we could be focusing on as well. You know, a baby is not aborted. A mother chooses life. These are victories. Uh, a child gives his heart to God. It's a victory. Anyone gives his heart to God. It's a victory. We can focus on these things too, but we need to pray for our enemies. It says uh, in, in verse 11, or chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, when it says... Um, don't forsake, in verse 25, not forsaking the fellowship of believers as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then down in verse 31, it talks about vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 31, it says, I, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hand of the living God. This is not for us to worry about. God's going to take care of it, and it would be terrifying for those who are evil, whether it's Putin or whether it's Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, all these people, even the people who are mocking our Lord today in our country, they will fall into the hands of a living God. And it's not for us to go, oh man, Lord, I just, can I be there when you get them? You know, because every, every one of us has that thought in your heart. Okay, I know vengeance is mine, say Lord, but I'd like to be there to see the vengeance. You know, we're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to pray for them because maybe God could change their heart. Even the heart of a viper could be changed. And one person, Saul, could there be anybody worse than Saul? He killed Christians. But God turned him and God saved him. And then from Paul, most of the New Testament was written. How many people have been saved because of the words that were inspired by Paul to read, to write? All right, I could go on and on. The question for all of us today, you know, we have people up here singing and we have people out here sitting and people come to church. And uh, you know the Roman road to salvation because Britain talked about it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, me. I started this whole thing saying, Lord, you know I am a sinful man because I am. Let me come into your presence worthily. Forgive me my sins. Thank you for forgiving me, okay? The wages of sin, verse 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Because we've all sinned, we deserve to go to hell, to die, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Okay? Five, Romans 5, 8. God loved us even when we didn't love him. He committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Romans 10, 8, 9. If you call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. Okay? He who calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then I, even though it's not Romans, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, or someone would be able to boast about it. Okay? Nothing you did gets you into heaven. It's by the grace of God. Grace is the word that means unmerited favor. You don't deserve God's favor, but he gives it to you anyway. It's your undeserved favor. By that grace is what we're saved, not by our works. So this morning, I'm up here, and God's here. Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. And we are here in the name of Jesus Christ. So I don't care if you sing on the stage and you sing the songs that talk about God. If you were to go to heaven today, if you were to die, and you're standing before the gates, and Jesus said, why should I let you into my kingdom? And you can say, because when I was six years old, I knelt in the balcony with my mom, and I asked, for, I said that you're, I'm a sinner, God, and I know, and I need you, and would you come into my heart and be my savior? And he'd say, come on in, well done, good and faithful servant. Even though I may have been bad, fallen away, come back, fallen away, come back, I accepted Christ. And I'll ask you today, I don't care if you've been, if you're up on the stage with Amanda, if you're, if you're singing, if you're teaching, leading a Bible study, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Have you said, I am a sinner? God, please be my Savior. Not just this gradual acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, God, Jesus is God. Because in James, it says even the demons in hell, they know God and they know He's the Savior. And they tremble. So knowledge is, does not mean belief. Knowledge is not you are my Savior. right? Satan knows that Jesus is God, but he's not, definitely not going to heaven. Okay? It's knowledge is not enough. You have to have said, I'm a sinner. At this point, I will repent, and I want you in the driver's seat. And you, that means repent means you turn around and you go the other way. I'm no longer relying on myself. I'm relying on Jesus Christ. Have you ever said that? Have you had a time when you asked Jesus in your heart? That's my question this morning to everyone in this room. If so, when Amanda starts the music right now, cue the music. <laughs> this is your opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. To every man and woman... In Romans, I can't remember, I think it's Romans 10. To everyone, sooner or late, comes a moment to decide, to ask, or to accept. This could be that moment. And if you let this moment go by, it might not ever come back. Your heart might be hardened. I can remember an old man talking, giving an invitation. He said that, when you put your, you know, these, they would stand up and start singing, you know, just as I am or whatever, and and he said that his knuckles would start gripping the back of the, of the pew because he, he knew he was supposed to go forward and ask Jesus into his heart. But he resisted, he resisted. But he said, after a while, it started getting not so hard to hold on to the pew anymore. And then pretty soon he could let go and he could resist. And then one day he realized, someone said, how long have you been resisting? And he realized he'd been doing that. And God his finger came down and ripped that callus off his heart and he realized that's what he'd been doing and he went down and accepted Christ. This might be the day for you. I don't know. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you don't want to come up here and talk to me, 
right now, I understand you can be embarrassed because, you know, people around might think, well, I mean, he wasn't a Christian. You know, we're not that way, guys. We're a family. If you want to, I will pray with you right now on my knees and this whole congregation will be praying with you and they will be crying because one person is coming to the presence of God. If you want to wait till afterwards, that's fine too. As long as you come, it doesn't matter how you come, as long as you come before God. At this hour, at this time, in this place, in the name of Jesus, let's bow our heads. Father, I am a sinful man. And I'm bringing your word before these people. And I'm not worthy. You know it. But thank you for that honor. Lord, I pray that your word has gone into every heart today. Has gone into the heart. And the seed has been planted. Father, I pray that someone would come to me today and say, I want to do that. I want to accept Jesus. Lord, and if not to me, I pray that they would come to someone that they know and trust, that they would say, you know, Gordy was talking about this and I need to do that. God, don't let them resist. Lord, put your hand, convict their hearts. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Lord, if you came tonight, we would be saved or not, depending on what the choices we made. If we die tonight, will we see your face? I know I will, God, and even though I don't deserve it, I know I will. I pray for that same confidence, that same uh, knowledge that they would know they're saved. Don't let their heart go, God. Hold on tight until they give in and realize that they need to ask you into their heart, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, folks.